Welcome to NCBA's Cattleman's Call podcast with host Lane Nordland. All right, friends. Thank you so much for joining us here on the Cattleman's Call podcast. As Dan McCarty, our fearless uh, voice on the intro, said, my name is Lane Nordland, and this is the Cattleman's Call podcast, where we talk about all things that impact the cattle industry. We enjoy having conversations with cattlemen and women from across the nation on important subjects that impact their operations and their livelihoods. And one subject that is so important to talk about is mental health. And May is Mental Health Awareness Month. And we here at the Cattlemen's Call podcast and all the staff at NCBA know the importance about having these awkward and difficult conversations. And I always like to say they're awkward because it's only awkward until you actually break that ice that I have found when, when, when we talk about the importance of mental health in looking at our ag operations. So I'm really uh, uh, honored today to be joined by two guests. Uh, uh, joining us uh, from the state of New York is Kate Downs with New York FarmNet, a Cornell Extension program. Kate, thanks for joining us here today. Thank you. And also joining us from the Colorado Cattlemen's Ag Land Trust, their Director of External Relations, Maggie Hanna. Thank you so much for joining us, Maggie. Thank you for having me. Well, again, as we mentioned, as we move through this springtime and and whatnot, it's been a very tough go for producers. And, and we like to talk about drought. We like to talk about uh, cattle prices that are impacting producers because that, that's on top of mind right now. But uh, when we look at mental health, it, it uh, as I mentioned, people, they get awkward about it sometimes, or they feel that, you know, I've been running this operation for so long, uh, uh, I, I'm doing just fine. But at the end of the day, we're here to, to open up the, the conversations and the dialogue and to make people feel comfortable to, to, to look at mental health as no different than running to town to, to get your yearly physical and checkup. That, because there's nothing wrong with talking about someone's mental health or your mental health. But uh, first off, uh, before we really d- dive into uh, our conversation here today, uh, uh, Maggie, I'll start uh, with, with you and the, uh, the uh, Colorado Cattlemen's Ag Land Trust. Uh, let's just talk about your role in agriculture and, uh, and as we, we look at uh, May as Mental Health Month. Uh, how are things in Colorado today? You mentioned they might be a little bit windy. It's a bit windy for sure. Uh, And it feels like it's been windy pretty consistently for the last month. Uh, So I am Maggie Hanna. I am the Director of External Relations for the Colorado Cattlemen's Agricultural Land Trust. Uh, CCALT was founded in 1995. So we have worked with Colorado's farm and ranch families for the last 27 years. Um, One of the components that made us an interesting organization in the agricultural landscape was we were the first land trust in the country to be founded by producers. So we actually were born out of the membership of the Colorado Cattlemen's Association, designed at helping uh, farm and ranch families transition farms and ranches to the next generation and ensuring that there were tools in the toolbox to help these landowners um, see the future, manage risk, and manage pressures that grew out of development, energy, what what have you. Um, Today, CCLT has conserved 705,000 acres of working lands around the state of Colorado under perpetual conservation easements. 
Uh, one of the things that also sets us apart is um, we are prohibited from soliciting a conservation easement from a farmer ranch family. So they have to approach us, which makes uh, is maybe one of the features that I'm most proud of. Every single one of these partners was a willing partner, and these are long-term relationships. So um, in that space, we have a vested interest in making sure that we take care of one another in the long haul. Mm -hmm. This was not just a transaction, but a marriage. Um, and I have a unique opportunity in my space in my career in that I am myself a fourth generation operator in Southern Colorado. Um, my family runs a cow-calf operation. We are also a com uh, component of the ranch is uh, protected through a conservation easement. We are also uh, public lands lessees and we are um, largely dependent on state lands of the state of Colorado. Um, so my role is twofold. I exist in this space as a producer and I exist in the space as a relationship manager of producers. Um, and I think one of the big pieces that has allowed CCALT to be invested in this uh, mental health space is looking at ways that we can support families. Um, and it's, it's not always about figuring out your grazing rotation. It's not always figuring about out about how we market cattle. Sometimes it's really just checking on each other. Mm -hmm. Um, and one of in, in this mental health conversation in Colorado, one of the, um, sort of marketing pieces that I have been most taken by, um, Southeast Colorado health group had a, a promotional campaign that reminded producers that, we have no problem calling to let each other know when we've got cattle out or something doesn't look right. We can do that for each other. Mm -hmm. You know, we can call up and say like, I just, I hope you're okay. You know, mm -hmm. I don't need to know every little detail, but I just want to check on you. And we can, we know how to do that. We know how to say like, Hey, saw you had some cattle across the river, saw something was amiss. And we can take that the next step um, and take care of each other as a community. So that is the role that CCLT has played in this space. Well, thank you for that introduction and uh, and quick overview. And we're, we're of course we're going to dive into more of those conversations and uh, resources of where producers uh, can go, family, friends. And, and, but uh, first, I, I, I want to welcome Kate Downs to the podcast. Uh, uh, first off, Kate, welcome. Uh, uh, as we usually do in this podcast, how is the weather out in New York today? Well, today it's sunny <laughs> and in the mid 50s. So I, I think some folks are going to be out in the field today, which will be good. It'll feel good for them for sure. Great. Well, well, let's talk a little bit about your role with New York Farm Net and uh, the resources and opportunities that uh, you provide folks out in the countryside in rural New York. And we've had producers from New York on this podcast a few times. Uh, a lot of people just think of the Big Apple when they think of New yeah. York, but New York is a very rural state once you get out of the New York City area. That's right. Just a few hours north of the city. And it's it's rural New York. Um, you know, there's a lot of a lot of land, a lot of forest, a lot of beautiful farmland up here. And uh, I feel really lucky to live in this neck of the woods. So New York FarmNet was started in 1986 by Cornell University as a response to the national farm crisis of the 80s. So we are really lucky that we've been around for 36 years um, supporting farmers and farm families throughout you know, times of crisis and times of growth and opportunity. Um, we 
do this work because we are a state funded organization. So the State Department of Ag and Markets and the New York State Office of Mental Health provide funding for us each year. And that allows us to employ, we have 45 people in the field and then four people in our main office. And those 45 folks out in the field, they are financial consultants and family consultants. Our financial consultants, they are the farm business management folks. They've worked in ag lending. They're retired farmers, believe it or not. Um, they, they used to work for extension. They know the ins and outs of farm businesses. And then our family consultants, they are actually social workers. And so they go out in teams of two to provide sort of that wraparound, that holistic support to a farm family who may call us because we operate an 800 helpline they may call us saying, we need help with our budget. And then we go there, we're like, oh, they haven't opened their bills for months. So we're gonna go through the shoebox, we're gonna open the bills and dig into some of those things that Maggie mentioned that you know can get a little tricky to ask for help with. Um, so with those teams, we can really dig into those issues to see what's going on, to hear some of those unspoken things that happen around the kitchen table at lunchtime that happened in the milk house since New York's such a big dairy state um, or out in the fields. Um, we, really, we really help with all different pieces of the farms and you know, 97% of the farms in New York are family owned. So they're with multiple generations working side by side as I, I feel like Maggie can probably relate. Uh, it can be a little tricky communication wise with interpersonal things containing that stress to the farm or to the family, that's just not possible. So helping folks manage that stress and cope with it and then figure out how to move through it. And one thing that I want to point out too, obviously, uh, through Cornell Extension uh, is how you, you, the coordination obviously goes through Cornell Extension uh, from in the state of New York, but uh, extension agents are truly the backbone of, of all of our rural communities. Uh, you start in 4-H. Uh, yeah. uh, as a producer, you call up the ag extension agent when it's something, hey, my, you know, is there a weed out here that might be getting my cattle sick? You know, what what's this question? Truly, extension is that first resource, other than the veterinarian, that so many mm. producers reach out in, in having that resource. And and I majored in uh, agricultural uh, relations, which was the extension option at Montana State University uh, uh, back in the day. And, and we went through uh, so many different courses and, and ways of outreach uh, to, 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 to communicate with producers. And, and that's why I just want to point out how vital extension is in our rural communities, but also that part of if you're comfortable to call an extension agent about uh, an issue you're having out on the rangeland mm -hmm. or with your livestock, you know, that's a great first source also to, to maybe be that, uh, to lend an ear. And what's really nice about FarmNet is that we are actually separate from extension, but we mm -hmm. um, work in tandem with them okay. a lot. So they, extension, like the county-based associations in New York, they they know their communities, right? Um, so they know if that farmer is having an issue and they need a little bit more technical assistance um, than you know, that extension educator can provide. They need some longer term help and we are there 
we're there for the long haul. We are there for not just two visits. We're there for maybe two years in some cases, working through, okay, what's going on with your herd? How is it impacting this? How is it impacting this? Oh, and then you're having some family issues. That's also impacting things and vice versa. Um, but our extension educators are some of our best, best partners because there are times that we don't know the answer, right? Like we're human, we don't know all mm -hmm. the things, but we can bring them to the table to have the supportive network for that farmer and that family and say, all right, we've got your loan officer from Farm Credit East. We've got your extension agent locally. We've got FarmNet, you know, the two FarmNet consultants and maybe an attorney all sitting around the table to support this farmer in a way that makes sense for them. Um, and the really great thing for us is that we don't charge. Our services are totally free and they're also confidential, which in the farming community is very, very important because they don't want folks to know that they may be asking for help. Um, because sometimes we at FarmNet are seen as the call of last resort. I'm okay with that, but I know um, it's a really difficult call to make. An extension is really great at referring folks and actually sitting there with the farmer and dialing that 800 number and talking to me when I answer the phone and saying, I've got a farmer here, they're having a hard time, we'd love to work with you. Yep. So, and then we'll, we'll talk to the farmers and figure out what's going on. Now, Kate, with over 30 years of, of the, these resources in the state of New York, uh, I, again, I take my hat off to the, the community leaders, the lawmakers that, you know, saw this as a, as a priority 30 plus years ago. Uh, you know, as I mentioned, drought is, in, in my part of the world, drought is on people's minds. Producers have had to liquidate herds. They've had to, you know, sell because we can't afford hay. Uh, so much is on their mind, but you know, so mental health is really at the forefront for a lot of people right now. But, you know, men mental health needs to be on people's uh, minds, not just when it's a drought, it, because things go wrong on the operations, family dynamics. W w can you speak to that, just the importance of that awareness every single day of the year, and not just during times when the mainstream media is covering the drought? <laughs> yeah, of course. Um well, I, I like to remind farmers that mental health is physical health. You know, if we were to, if they were to fall and break their arm, they would go to the doctor, they would get an x-ray, get a cast, and they would do follow-up with their doctors. Our brain is also an organ, right? So if we, if our brains aren't feeling right, and that maybe will show up in physical ways, oftentimes is how we notice it, or maybe not notice it and think it's something else. But if our brain isn't well, the rest of us can't be well. So it's really, really critical to, to support yourself and take care of yourself in any time of day, any time of year. Um, I know it's hard during planting and harvest. I know that. I know it's hard if you're a dairy farmer because you don't get a break ever. Um, but you can't have a farm if you don't have a healthy you. So mm -hmm. So farmers just need, you know, we need to start having that conversation that it's okay that you're not okay and that you can go to the doctor and ask for help. Like Maggie said, taking those conversations a little bit further instead of just, are the cows out and do you need help? Like, yep. how are you doing? Um, how's the family doing? You know, I heard some things that happened at school. You can just be that support, be that, be a good neighbor, be a good human. And, and Maggie, 
you have a very personal story with mental health in your family. Would you be comfortable to share that with our listeners and how that's also a way that you can help, you know, help people that uh, are uneasy about these conversations learn more? I am happy to share uh, this part of my story. And I think um, one of the challenges I've had in the mental health conversation is I am myself not a practitioner. I am not a clinician. I am not a doctor. I do not have an expertise in the actual functionality of our brains and uh, chemical relationships in our bodies. Um, And so for a long time, I struggled with finding a place and like, how can I elevate this conversation and similar to the conversation of conservation and agriculture, a lot of it is creating a vocabulary, you know, and like making sure people know that like mental health is not like we've, we've even shifted our vocabulary, at least in the state of Colorado in the last five or 10 years from mental illness Mm -hmm. to mental wellness, you know, and like, these are things that we can like work to grow. Um, so to back up a little bit and to sort of pave my path into this, uh, multifaceted career of mine, uh, I was born and raised on a cow calf operation, Southeast of Colorado Springs, Colorado. Um, my, uh, family had moved to Colorado in the 1940s following world war II. Um, and, uh, it's a long story. You can check it out on a documentary called Hannah Ranch, available on Amazon Prime. Um, but in the 1950s, um, uh, the patriarch of the family uh, passed away in an accident on the ranch. And the matriarch, uh, the family joke was that she had some fences down and she married the neighbor. So for um, about 40 years, we operated kind of as a Brady Bunch. So the two ranches operated as one until um, the sons of both families. So there were two separate families with uh, sets of sons on each side uh, until those that generation was ready to come home. Uh, as we see in, I, I'm sure most of our careers, um, family dynamics of agriculture are our greatest gift and our greatest challenge. Um, So my dad had one brother. They both had a shared responsibility in the ranch and there was some conflict. Um, The elder brother went away um, and younger brother, who was my dad, was invited back to the ranch. Um, He managed the ranch for uh, several decades He was um, in many leadership roles around the state of Colorado and nationally. He was involved. um, A lot of people coined him the eco rancher. He was uh, really geared at building bridges. You know, if there was going to be a way that we were going to protect agriculture, we were going to have to find ways to create um, outreach to other communities. So he served on um, Sierra Club boards, the Nature Conservancy Um, He was uh, the president of the Colorado Cattlemen's Association. He was a founder of the Colorado Cattlemen's Agricultural Land Trust. Uh, He was involved at county levels um, in terms of county level land use planning. Um, So he was really at the forefront. Um, And I think likely for any of us who have had the opportunity to be in leadership roles, leadership is a lonely place. Um, So adding that to a family dynamic of managing uh, an operation in, in through a generational transition. Um, and 
he started to struggle um, in the in the mid '80s. Um, Colorado didn't have really any resources all the way through the mid nineties. We really didn't even start to have a conversation at a statewide level about mental health until the late 1990s. So um, my sister and I are born, we're here on this ranch. My mom, uh, as is maybe the case with a lot of rural families, uh, there's not enough women in town, so you have to marry an out of towner. So she's (laughs) not from here. and uh, I, it's interesting in hindsight um, to recognize signs that we now talk about pretty commonly that at that point, maybe we're just stressors. You know, he was starting to get a little bit paranoid and he was really concerned about the financials of the ranch. And um, he and his brother were uh, really trying hard to negotiate the future of the ranch. And um, my dad, whose name is Kirk Hanna, um, was desperately trying to keep it together as one operation. Uh, and his brother was interested in dividing it. He is a developer by trade. And um, so there was some like really scary conflict about the future. And um, in December of 1998, uh, six days before Christmas, he went down to check bulls and took his life. Um, And I am the child of suicide. I am the child of an agricultural family. Um, He had built many relationships and many friends and I am uh, immensely grateful and forever indebted to the sense of community that scoops up a family uh, after suicide or, or really any trauma. Um, but I think that's maybe one of the like strongest assets of rural America is that like we do pay attention and we will scoop you up, you know, and I uh, attended the rural school in Hanover, Colorado and the school bus driver, my entire time at school was also at the hospital when I was delivered and she comes to branding still, you know, and like that sense of community is something that I will never forget. And it's um, the place that I see like, we actually can step in and serve networks of communities in the mental health space of just like being a support system. Um, anyways, so my, my dad took his life and my mom was then a single parent managing a ranch, not from here in the midst of a family dynamic that was really hostile. Um, and she leaned into it and she said, I'm not leaving. This is where we chose to raise our family. Um, this was the commitment that we made and I'm here for it. And, um, so in 2000, 2007, 2008, um, so a decade after he was gone, uh, we actually did end up splitting the ranch with, um, the, the, another family member and at, at a similar time, uh, conserved a portion of the ranch. So we could protect what was left, um, and sort of plan for the future. Um, and, at that time, we were celebrating a decade of being uh, this small little uh, all lady family on a ranch and a newspaper um, journalist from the Rocky Mountain News came down and said, I want to tell a story about women in agriculture. And she said, okay, um, <laughs> like we're all just doing what we can, you know? Uh, and a film producer caught on to the article and he said, you know, I'd like to do a story about um 
women in agriculture. And she said, absolutely not interested. Please don't let the door hit you on the way out. Why don't you tell a story about like the challenges of the modern American West or, you know, like challenges of modern agriculture are really different than they were a hundred or 50 years ago. Um, and like figuring out how we take care of each other. And, you know, Lane, you mentioned it and I am in drought country. Um, I don't know what uh, central New York is like, but I'm sure it's very, very wet. green and lovely. <laughs> um, <It's> very wet. <laughs> but I mean, starting Easter Sunday, Colorado's well into fire season. We are um, knocking on the door of May and I don't have anything that's green. Um, not the green is good, but um, <laughs> like, and even like, I am a person who's intimately familiar with mental health and I cannot help but feel like I don't know how to move forward. And I think one of the really big challenges, and I look back at my dad's life and um, I look around at the, the producers that I work with day in and day out, both as neighbors and through my career at Cattlemen's, um, there's all these tools, you know? We have grazing rotations and fencing mechanisms and you know all of these resources, but sometimes there are factors that you can't control and it eats you alive. And and while we can say we're all in the same boat, you open your eyes every morning and it's blowing 40 miles an hour and like you're just in another fire danger day and you just prepare for it, you know, like you're, and and that's where like I just um, I see this opportunity to just have a conversation and create vocabulary. So so that's my personal story and connection to um, sort of how I got involved in the mental health conversation um, there you Ooh. go. <laughs> well, thank you for sharing that. And I, I know this has helped you, you know, engage on a personal level, so many producers, but, uh, uh, I, I, I just thank you for sharing that. Uh, cause no matter how many times you do share it, I, I, so many of us that have been impacted by suicide, we relive that. Um, sorry, I'm getting a little choked up here. Um, but thank okay. you for sharing that. And, well, uh, and and Lane, just to give you give you a minute, I'll buy you a minute here. <laughs> One of the it's I, I it has been the only space that I've figured out how to engage in the conversation because it is a, the burden that I and my sister and my mom bear. But I also am immensely grateful for the opportunity because like it has allowed me to kind of keep this man alive. You know, he's directing every bit of my career and I lost him when I was nine, you know? So like my life has been in the shadow of this person and this conversation has allowed him to be relevant to me and to a community beyond maybe like what would have even been realistic if he'd been here. Sorry, Kate. <laughs> no, uh, just me too. I, um, I lost my uncle to suicide. He was a dairy farmer and yeah, he is why I am on this career path. So yeah. Yep. And it, you know, every, everybody is touched by suicide in some way, shape or form. Um, and it's being able to share their lives, you know, my uncle John's life, like, and you being able to share your dad's life with folks is so powerful because, you know, it, it can just, sometimes it touches someone in a way you can't even expect. 
-hmm. and that allows them and that opens the door for that deeper conversation saying it's okay to get help you know you it's okay you know we are here we've got there's lots of resources um you know there certainly could be more don't get me wrong um but you know we we're here to help and yeah well, let's talk about some of those programs where help, uh, you know, where that help can come from. So I guess, Maggie, let's maybe look at the Colorado uh, area where let's talk about some of those awareness campaigns and uh, uh, some of those resources that have been implemented in, in the rural parts of Colorado and surrounding regions that you're familiar with. Just to, to be able to share that those resources, conversations and uh and look towards really bringing uh, mental wellness to the forefront. I um, will give it to the state of Colorado that I will fall short in this answer and that I cannot provide you every resource. Um, I, I think one of the privileges of working for a statewide organization is that I do get to see high level programs Um, but like, I know that there are County programs and community programs that exist that I will miss. So I, to any listener who has invested themselves in a, in a community program, props to you and I apologize. But on, the, on a broad spectrum, um, specifically as it relates to the agricultural communities of Colorado, the two programs that I have been most um, directly involved with that I think are just really forward thinking. And while I'm a little bit envious of programs um, in New York, uh, <laughs> and I'm going to follow up on, um, First of all, Commissioner Don Brown was our Commissioner of Agriculture. He reached out to me uh, probably six years ago. And one of the issues we were having in the state of Colorado is that we were seeing growth in our use of crisis lines, um, which in the mental health space is a confusing metric. Are you seeing growth because more people know of the resource or are you seeing growth because more people are addressing an issue or a crisis? Um, But one of the pieces of feedback that we were hearing from the agricultural space was these crisis lines, you call, um, you are in crisis, or you have a family member in crisis, and they say, you know, you really need to take some time, you need to look at self-care, you need to like kind of focus on these pieces. And to an agricultural producer, they say, in what planet Earth am I going to do that? (laughs) You know, like, I have to wake up tomorrow and I have living creatures and beings that are dependent on me. Um, And so the first step that the Department of Ag took was creating a curriculum that could train or better provide um, uh, response mechanisms for crisis line employees to address rural needs. Um, Like self-care was not going to be necessarily our best solution to providing a bridge in a crisis scenario. Um, And so we created a series of training videos um, using agricultural producers to help build a little bit of a broader toolbox for crisis line employees. The Department of Ag has um, really supported uh, crisis line work and has done extensive work beyond just the training videos um, that we've had the opportunity to be involved in. And then just recently, um, the Colorado Farm Bureau launched a program called the Colorado Agricultural Addiction and Mental Health Program. And this might be the most exciting opportunity I have had the opportunity to be in with, have my hands on, um, because it was so 
tangible. And I think uh, one of the gifts of COVID was that it taught us how to function in a remote space. Um, we talk often about access to mental health care. So if you're in a rural community, maybe you don't have a clinic and that is an access point. Or maybe you have a clinic and a provider, but you're scared someone's gonna see your red pickup at the clinic. So and that's an access point. Maybe you can't afford a mental health service and that's an access point. You know, so we were having these cultural, financial and physical barriers to mental health and telehealth has opened this door to say, in the office, in the shop, after hours, you can call for support and there can be a resource that you can address on your own time in the privacy of your own space. And uh, this program offered free vouchers. You received three free vouchers to see a mental health provider. The mental health providers that were enrolled in the program had all been vetted through um, Colorado Farm Bureau and had gone through a training program so that they were equipped to address commodity markets, drought, family challenges, and have a better, more robust ability to respond in crisis. Um, and that program has continued to offer lunch and learns to rural healthcare providers. Um, and it just like the first, the launch year, they offered 50 vouchers. So to 50 individuals, three sessions. And that feels like a really small number. But the cool part about rural dynamics is if 50 people use that program and they each tell one person, you double your numbers. And if you double your numbers every year and people are actually using the service, you have a functional program that is delivering a service. So that's been the program that I have been most recently just so excited about as a non-clinician. I'm like, wow, that is cool. And people used it. <laughs> um, so those are the two that I am most closely related to. There are a ton of programs through our um, healthcare system and providers around the state of Colorado, but those are two that are very specific to the ag community. So whether you're running cattle or farming wheat, um, there is a place for you to find a resource that's prepared to receive you. Kate, do you want to share uh, some more examples or, or add to what Maggie was saying there? Yeah. Um, yeah. So New York Farm, one of the cool things about us is that we, our consultants come out to the farms so that they don't have to drive their red pickup down to the mental health clinic if there is one in town. Um, so we love doing that. We also receive a lot of like legislative support from New York Farm Bureau, which they're a great partner. And I know American Farm Bureau has really taken a big focus on rural mental health. And I'm so grateful for that. Um, and we are working with other organizations around the state to build out and uh, capacity build around mental health literacy. So giving people that language, just baseline language. So we're using mental health first aid to provide that really in-depth training to folks. And we are having Farm Bureau folks trained. We're having extension educators trained, farmers, um, lots of different agricultural community members trained to deliver mental health first aid training to their communities because we know folks hear it best from people like them. And then also we are doing suicide prevention through American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. So Talk Saves Lives, um, we're doing those trainings as well as like a more specific training, you know, to help mitigate a crisis like that. Um, but just 
so we're hoping that the more we can talk about it, you know, the more language we have, the more we can talk about mental wellness. I really like that. Um, and the better, the better we can support each other and just, you know, removing one of those barriers saying, oh, I can make that phone call, or I have noticed these signs in this person, they're not showing up for coffee at the diner, they're not coming to, you know, whatever soil and water meeting, um, I should probably check on them. And helping folks recognize that if they don't feel like they are equipped to ask that question, maybe reach out to someone else in their community who is closer to that person. So just providing that training, uh, I think is really, really helpful to a lot of different folks, you know, and I'm also, a lot of what I do at FarmNet is just go out and talk to different organizations. Like I was at a public health conference this week, tabling and talking to people about rural mental health. I do some work with the rural health network in New York state. Um, we do a lot with Farm Bureau and Extension, um, just getting the word out that farmers are people, you know, they, they're the ones who feed us. They're the ones who maintain our countryside. They maintain all that like goodness and that fabric in our communities, that, that social fabric. And if we lose our farms and our farmers, it, our communities are going to look very, very different very soon. So let's have those conversations and figure out how we can support them. As I mentioned earlier, uh, Kate, you know, we, we really tend to look at these big factors like drought, uh, trade, as, as those really those big stress points. But uh, s stress, depression, they're, they're not they don't just pop up when right. a weather event uh, occurs. Uh, what, what are some of the biggest factors that you have seen that really uh, uh, cause a lot of that stress just through your work in New York? But also, obviously, um, depression uh, comes in different forms and whatnot, too. Mm -hmm. But could we just talk maybe about uh, what, what some of those key factors that, that uh, you help train people to, to identify and talk about uh, when we're actually trying to say, hey, I, I'm here for you. But uh, mm -hmm. what are some of those training uh, steps that you take? Sure. So as I think Maggie said it earlier, you know, there's a lot of uncontrollable factors in farming, basically everything because you control the weather or other people or your cows. Um, so dealing with that. And then there's also government regulations that are changing, especially during COVID. That was there was a lot of uncertainty in New York. And then also in, during COVID, folks were like having to dump milk because the landscape changed. So that was just, that was a lot. But COVID brought a lot of these stressors to the surface. I think they were, they've always been there, but it really highlighted, okay, there are folks with substance use disorders. They are, they're alcoholics, you know, they're drinking all times of the day and they're unable to function and they're using this to cope, but it's not a good coping mechanism, right? So, and we've also also seen a lot of domestic violence occur and like, just, this is just what I hear from our consultants who are going out in the field and talking with families. There's just a lot more substance use and a lot more domestic violence and um, just, you know, everybody's just on edge. So we, it's hard, I think, if you're super close to someone to see those changes because oftentimes they happen so gradually. But if you're someone like a nutritionist or a veterinarian or even the milk truck driver for here in New York, that you can notice some of those changes, like a person 
being really tired or extra irritable or, um, you know, a lot of weight gain or weight loss, you know, just some of those little things, they add up over time. And not that any one of those alone would be a red flag, but I think when they compound, that's when the stress really starts to build. And there's a really great continuum of mental wellness that I've seen. I think it came from Canada and it shows it like green, you're really, really healthy. And then yellow to orange, you're starting to get more and more sick. And then red is like, you are a not well, you need help. You know, all of these different things are happening. Um, you're not sleeping, you're not eating, you're violent, you're, um, you're making really irrational decisions, which on a farm, that's really dangerous because there's about 18 different ways to get hurt on a farm more than that, but you know, <laughs> that's, that's on a good day. Um, but if you're, if you're not thinking clearly, which when you're stressed out, your brain isn't, you know, one of, one of my consultants uses it like a, your brain is like a snow globe. So when you're really stressed out, it's like a snow globe that's been shaken and you can't think clearly because your brain is flooded with cortisol and all these different hormones and chemicals in your body. So you're just not processing, you know, you may make really rash decisions that can impact yourself, your family, your farm, the animals, you know, any number of things. But if you take the time to let that snow globe settle, let your brain settle, um, it can be really, really powerful. And I, um, I know I talk a little tiny bit about self-care when I do talk with folks, but really I just encourage them to breathe mm -hmm. because even just those deep I call them like belly breasts, like watching a baby because they breathe into their belly. And most farmers can relate to that. Um, I'm like, well, we have to breathe. So take, you know, five good breaths before you get on the tractor and just reset your brain. Um, I'm not, you know, I'm not asking you to become like a meditation guru or a yoga master or anything like that. I just want you to breathe. And, you know, taking that, that moment, you know, it's what a minute of breathing to just settle your brain a little bit before you do get on the tractor can be really powerful or taking the time to take a nap. I, that was something I was always amazed with my uncle when he was alive and on the farm, he and my grandpa always took an afternoon nap. And I was amazed at that. Like, man, they really know how to do life. If they're napping for a half hour, every afternoon, you know, if you can do that, that's great. Um, but yeah, it's, it's those, this gradual buildup of stress that can really lead to depression and anxiety. And when that all compounds that can, that can lead to increased suicide risk. So yeah, it's just knowing some of those signs. And, and as we look at those signs, obviously we want to encourage our listeners to, to be able to identify them, to, to be that support system. But Sometimes there's people out there that maybe don't know how to approach it, or they might be of that old school thought, rub some dirt on it. Yeah. It's going to get yeah. better. Um, rugged. <laughs> how do you have those conversations with, you know, somebody within the family that might say, oh, they're just, you know, they're just having a bad day, you know? And I, I, I guess I don't know if I'm posing this question correctly, but just there's some negative Nancy's out there that may not be as supportive. Is it better for them just to kind of step back and, and let someone else maybe have that conversation with the person that, uh, that, that is, uh, potentially needs to s seek, uh, some mental wellness conversation help? 
Um, maybe <laughs> they may not be the best person to build that connection because if a person is struggling, they're probably desperate for connection. Um, so finding the right person who can sit and talk with them is always, is a good idea. However, I always, I remind folks that if you see it, assume that you are the only one who notices okay. that person is struggling and no one else may reach out because they'd be like, well, that's who am I? You know, I'm just the, the truck driver. I'm just the custom proper, whatever. Um, sorry, my dog is. Barking. Oh, I thought it was actually my dog. So <laughs> no, <laughs> I thought the fine. corgis were barking down here, but, uh, <laughs> Sorry. No worries. Um, so just assume that not everybody sees what you see and trust your gut. If your gut senses something is not right, you're probably, your gut is probably right. Um, and I, I have had to ask about suicidality on the phone with complete strangers. Cause we operate an 800 helpline you know, and I can tell in their voice if they are in a crisis. Mm -hmm. And so then I know, okay, when we get to a place where I feel comfortable and they are in a place to receive information and maybe answer questions, I, I will ask them, are they thinking of killing themselves? Are they thinking of suicide? Very directly. Um, it's very uncomfortable. It doesn't really get any easier. And I've had to do it many times. And, you know, there are times when it's a really emphatic, no, I would never do that to a, I don't know, you know, and that's when I'm like, okay, I, with that information, I can help you move through this. And I am not a trained crisis counselor. I have a background in agricultural business and rural development, um, but I've gone through trainings and I know how to get to the next step. And also I have a network of social workers I can lean on. So I am super duper lucky to have those folks. I can text them while I'm on the phone and say, hey, I've got this client. I'm on the phone with them. They're in crisis. Please call them back ASAP. And within 20 minutes, they'll get a, that farmer will get a phone call back from a social worker who's like, okay, what's, you know, let's talk through this. But, um, you know, trust your gut. Just trust your gut. I would always rather have someone really upset with me because I had a welfare check done by the local sheriff or the local troopers, then read their obituary the next day in the newspaper. I would much rather that. And Kate, I, I also, what resources are available to the families or friends of someone that maybe lost someone to suicide? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I'm thinking my, my dad lost his brother to suicide and he is so bitter still. Yeah. Um, yeah. and is, and I personally think that could be because he blames himself for maybe not reaching out, having those conversations. It, it, they weren't the type that would talk every single day, but they were still yeah. brothers. Mm -hmm. Um, w what are some of those resources or how can, you know, because obviously it, that that's another difficult process of this too. What, what are some of the, the steps that family and friends can do to surround that immediate family? Um, I like... First of all, I like leaning on your community. Make, um, I went through a training and the trainer said, we need to make mental health a casserole disease. And I was like, what does that mean? It's like, well, when you find out someone has cancer, you take them a casserole or a hot dish. Um, you know, but if you hear someone is struggling with mental health issues or they're in the hospital because they're on suicide watch, 
we pull back and we don't want to reach out, but that's probably the worst time to do that. So if you hear someone struggling, show up for them, show up with some muffins, whatever, show up with a cup of coffee, show up just to talk and be there. Um, I know when we lost my uncle, that was the most powerful thing. And Maggie mentioned it too, that our communities, our rural communities are so strong and they show up for each other. And that is really incredible. And I can't imagine living anywhere else and not having that social network, that social fabric to support my family. Um, there are lots of resources. My favorite is the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. So it's AFSP.org. They have a ton of information on what to do if you're a suicide loss survivor, what Maggie and I are, um, you know, what to do if you've lost a parent or a child or whatever, you know, it breaks it down into some really solid concrete things to support you. I would also lean on your faith community if that is something that connects you with people. Um, you know, my, I'm trying to think with my family, we really leaned on our local community because we had a strong network, but find, find your people um, and don't shy away from showing up and, and supporting someone who's going through something. And uh, Maggie, I, I liked how you described uh, how a community scoops up those that are going through a difficulty. Um, how do we destigmatize, um, I guess, the conversation about mental wellness so that we're scooping each other up uh, all the time and supporting and, and stopping by and having that cup of coffee? Um, just to see how your neighbor's doing or, or, or just an example like that. How do, what are some of the, the resource, how the, the programs and just this conversation is led to more, you know, more, uh, an easy way to have these conversations, but how do we make it more mainstream in our rural communities? Such a good question. I think we just have to keep going. You know, I, I, um, one of the things that as I have taken over the management of this family ranch and I have sort of existed in the shadow of my dad's career, I look at some of the ways that we train agriculturalists. And one of the things that we do to train agriculturalists and producers is we eliminate weak links, eliminate cows that aren't producing, you eliminate fields that aren't functional, you know, and so we are trained to look at like, what is not serving this operation? And I think we have to, but at the same time, we're asked to look at these operations holistically. How are these, all of the pieces functioning together? And I think we need to look at ourselves um, as not a piece to be eliminated. Like the human dimension can always be improved in these spaces. Um, but not necessarily eliminated, you know? And I think that is the hard part about this mindset of how we train producers, but how we need to function on, with a human dynamic in these places. Can I do better? Yeah, I can. I can like, you know, adjust my grazing rotation and I can adjust some things here and I can pay better attention, but does it mean that I am, need to be eliminated as the weak link? No, it does not mean that. Um, so I don't, I don't know that there's a silver bullet to solving how we make these conversations comfortable. 
if there is one thing I know from my own rural community, uh, we're pretty good at persistence and we're pretty good at resilience. Um, and so if we can just kind of keep chipping away at this conversation and maybe it's just one conversation a month or a year, but it's something, you know, and, and I, and so I don't know that there's a golden goose. Um, but I do think there are steps forward that we collectively can share. And I do, um, want to jump back one question just because I, I see this in the conservation community. So we utilize conservation easements, which is a perpetual um, restriction on a deed of a conservation, I mean, deed of property to protect um, these farm and ranch uh, operations. And I see how this, Kate, I'm so jealous. Um, I make this joke all the time in our space because we keep hiring people who can like talk about cattle and identify grass. And that's really cool. But like we could use a social worker or a family therapist because a lot of people approach conservation when yeah. things are not going well, you know? And so one of the things that I have seen as sort of a parallel track between mental wellness and um, farm and ranch land conservation and probably just life, <laughs> The people who can invest and plan, and not that you plan for mental wellness, but like we do a lot of preventative work on farms and ranches. We drag fields before we turn irrigation water. We pre-vaccinate for things, you know, like we're doing a lot of preventative work. And if we can approach mental wellness also as preventative work, you know, we don't necessarily have to end up in crisis. When a family comes to the table um, to inquire about a conservation easement, but they owe the bank next month, we cannot help them in the same way that I can help you if you in five years have an objective you want to meet. You know, and so I look at mental health and farm and ranch land conservation kind of in a similar vein of if we can take a step back and say like, you know, it would be nice to build a tool set now and kind of slowly invest in just making sure that when it's dry and the market's in the toilet and my family is mad at me or so I have perceived, I know how to function in that space. And the same with conservation. When a developer knocks on the door, I actually have an estate plan and my family is ready to like inherit because if you have had a matriarch or patriarch die unexpectedly and suddenly there's a generational transition that is not prepared mm -hmm. that is when we lose mm -hmm. these operations and um so i uh just wanted to jump back to that because i do see that in mental health in the same vein um these are things we can work on without having to necessarily be in a crisis state and having those conversations while you're going through the the estate plan or the transition plan or whatever is going to bring up some hard conversations and knowing that they're normal, you know, families, families are unique, but also very similar. I mean, farm families, they go through so many similar things. It's ridiculous, but being able to have those conversations as you're working through it. And, you know, if there's a group or, you know, like the Kettleman's group um 
to have someone there to help you have those conversations is really, really helpful. We, we actually do a lot of work with land trust because in New York, because they're like, well, we know the nuts and bolts of estate planning and conservation easements and all that, but we aren't prepared for the emotional conversations that come up. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> we are, we, we can help you with those because we've seen it. Um, so it, it's really, really interesting to be able to, to sit with folks while they're going through that. Well, I, I just want to mention uh, for listeners in Montana, the Montana Department of Ag uh, just uh, announced their uh, farm and ranch stress assistance network, and they have free counseling as well. And I, I, again, like I mentioned, there's always been resources or and trainings for extension agents to go through, but to, to actually see the state utilize funding from the state and uh, from the federal government as well, it, it is important. And it, it uh, so given a commercial for listeners up in Montana, visit frontier.care slash beyond the weather <laughs> for more on that. But uh, again, that that's new. I, I wish this would have been around for, for, for several years and decades. And, and I also want to mention programs like beef quality assurance. That is training for producers to go through and it's uh Livestock handling, low stress livestock handling. Can, can you believe that low stress on your cattle could also mean less stress on you, on your kids, on your spouse? Um, and because uh, education is education, but also having these key conversations about mental wellness. Um, I, 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 it's just so important. And we could go so many different ways with this conversation. Uh, but I guess lastly, because I know we've been we've been talking almost an hour now. (laughs) So and I do want to say, Maggie, do you have a corgi in the background at your house, too? Uh, I she she is not a purebred corgi. (laughs) She's a mutt corgi, but she is a corgi. (laughs) We so we have a Welsh corgi and then we also have what was supposed to be an Aussie corgi cross. Well, it turns out he is Malinois corgi. Um, So he is he is an ADD little little corgi guy. But I just want to give a mention. uh, Kate, what kind of dogs do you have that that we I have a border collie. So she is her own special kind of (laughs) creature <laughs> well, well we got a uh, earlier i also got startled because I, I have a bunch of yearling bulls just right outside my oh. window and uh when they started uh a bellering out there kind of scared me so I, I doubt my microphone picked that up but you always you always have to enjoy the sounds of doing a broadcast from a ranch but i, I just want to thank you both for coming here today and, and sharing your individual perspectives uh your knowledge and just that 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 want to to get out and discuss this and help people on the countryside. Um, like I said, there are so many different ways that we could have gone with this conversation, and we still could. Uh, I mean, we could get on a topic and talk for another hour. I, I I do not care. But what are some areas that you would just like to maybe talk about to to jump back to, or or, or present that we haven't quite got to yet? Um. I have one that actually you, you reminded me of that the farm and ranch stress assistance network funding from the federal government through the farm bill has been so, so critical in the Northeast and across the nation, because I know there's different, different regions who have come together to build those supports for farmers and ranchers. And then that State Department of Agriculture funding through the Farm and Ranch Stress Assistance Network, that's actually the funding we are using to build mental health literacy in New York State. 
So, um, and I know our, our neighbors in Pennsylvania, they use that money to, to start up a, a helpline similar to Montana. So I, I think continuing that funding is, is critical to the well-being of, of our farmers and ranchers. I will just jump off of your BQA comment and say um, I am in the cattle business, so I'm not so familiar necessarily with farms. Um, cattle men and women can see a, an illness onset in a bovine eye. You know, we can see when something's not right. <laughs> we actually have that skill set. <laughs> And so I, I just, I have a lot of hope that as we gain traction in the conversation, we actually can do this for each other. And I think myself overcoming the sort of insecurity that I wasn't a clinician, um, there's something empowering about knowing that like, I can take care of the person next door, you yep. know? Uh, and then I also, this is sort of a self-diagnosis, but rural America loves stopping to help you with your flat tire. But if you yourself have a flat tire, you're like, no, 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 I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm, I'm fine. No big deal. I'm going to walk two miles home. <laughs> We're like, we have to learn how to accept help changing a tire. And, um, it's okay if someone checks in on us, it's not the, it's, it doesn't mean anything, um, bad about how we are performing. It means that someone cares. Um, so, and I think that's like, the most exciting part, you know, we can carry this. And, and with that also, Maggie and Kate, you know, you, you look at how we have just advanced agriculture and improved our natural resources over the decades. Um, it, it always takes someone doing something a little different that the neighbors might scratch their head out. They might joke about it down at the coffee shop or the stockyards. But do you have any examples of how maybe, you know, 4-H and FFA or, and other youth organizations are, are such a, a vital role in our rural communities as well? Uh, has there been any programs or anything how that has maybe got tied into some curriculum and ways that it's destigmatized? on that uh, with our youth and agriculture leadership and, and being able to look at this as well. Am I just, uh, uh, am I going off on a limb there? I just, I look at 4-H and FFA as that next generation. Um, I just see that as a great start to have these conversations as well. Yeah, I've done a couple of trainings for New York State 4-H and a couple for FFA at the beginning of the pandemic. And there's way more room to grow. I'm actually going next week to talk to one of our agricultural fraternities at Cornell about identifying stress and how to have those conversations. Cause I know those guys in that house, they go home to the farm and they are probably the next generation. And so having them know what it looks like to be well <laughs> and what it looks like to be struggling is so, so important. And then also, um, then maybe they can, they can reach out to their neighbors. So my goal is to just, I just want to talk to everyone about all of the things around mental health. So, I mean, that's part of why I have my job, right? I'm doing the outreach and the education piece. So, you know, I think, I think our youth are the key. I mean, they were the key back in the thirties. They, they're, they are our future. And 
the more trainings we can do and the more education we can do about destigmatizing mental health and promoting mental wellness is just, that'd be great. And, you know, you bring up youth, though, too, is especially in rural communities, so many youth, they uh, they have to be in every single sport because there's not enough kids to have a basketball team if they're not there. They're expected to get up and do their chores and uh, and carry out and helping out on the family operation. Uh, maybe we shouldn't forget to talk about the importance of mental health for youth out in the countryside, too. Could you maybe share a few? I, uh, like you said, I know you're going up to, to the university to talk to. Uh, and, and when I was in college, I was in Alpha Gamma Rho at Montana State. We had folks come in. <laughs> yeah, are you going to AGR? It's good, the AGR. Good. Yeah, it's the AGR house at Cornell. <laughs> well, and, and that's good that they're doing that because young people go through a lot of stress. And sometimes they might drink drink too much they might uh you know whatever it might be and how it manifests itself but you know maybe looking at the junior high school level could you maybe share some examples of uh some tips for parents or uh, coaches on how to on because that's another tough conversation when you have a know-it-all high school student that truly does maybe need someone to talk to yeah it's it's hard and oftentimes in adolescence, it shows up as a behavioral issue or the kid doesn't show up at school. And oftentimes it comes from home. So if that kid is helping with the chores in the morning before school and they are expected to be on the basketball or football team, and then they still have to go home and do chores at night and their homework, that's an awful lot of pressure to put on one, one kid. And then if that student sees mom and dad struggling with the farm business, they may choose to stay home and skip school that day so that they can help mom and dad make, make, you know, do whatever on the farm. So it's, so mom and dad aren't as stressed, right? That's a huge amount. That's a big burden to put on a teenager when their brains aren't fully baked. You know, they don't, they're not fully cooked until they're 25. So that's just an awful lot of stress to put on a kid, but then the academic pressures and the social pressures and the, you know, if they're in sports or orchestra or whatever, there's just so much on those students that, you know, but there's also those coaches and those teachers, they are major, major touchstones for that kid. So they can be a huge lifesaver for that student. If, You know, the teachers don't have to be trained, but I know that schools, at least in New York, are doing some really good work around social emotional well-being and just like having that conversation with a student after class, like, hey, are you okay? I've noticed you missed these assignments and you've missed school and, you know, everything okay. That that simple question could be a gateway to helping that kid stay alive Um, because it, you know, there's research, I think mental health first aid talks about it, that one connected adult to a teenager can save their lives. Mm -hmm. So just those touchstones at school, don't underestimate those teachers, those coaches, those FFA advisors, those 4-H club leaders, you know, they, they have a really important role in that student's life. And, you know, stress, again, it, it spills over from the, the family farm into the house, into the kids. And, you know, if they're showing up to school looking disheveled, chances are pretty good there's something going on at home that that's causing that. And also, I know we've talked about solely looking out for someone that could be showing the signs and helping individuals. But 
farming and ranching is stressful on a whole family. It's stressful on marriages as well. And, you know, I look back to the my folks' generation, my in-laws' generation. They, they didn't take vacations away from the operation. There probably wasn't the money to, to go and take a vacation. Um, but, you know, we, we go to all these young ag couples conferences now and this and that, and they're always preaching, you know, got to take time for yourself. But how important is it, and, and I'd like to hear both of your opinions on this too, to, to set time aside for your spouse to talk about these things and not take it out on them or vice versa, you know, taking the time to go to town, maybe work out at the gym, um, you know, taking that vacation just the two of you or something like that. Okay. Would you guys be comfortable talking about that aspect of stress as well? Oh, sure. I can see your dog in the back. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, well, it's, it's hard, but I think taking that time, even if it's to go to the movies or a middle of the day date, cause that, you know, that's when kids are at school. That might be when it's easiest to get out of the house unburdened. <laughs> um, taking that time can be really, really powerful for you two to connect and remind yourselves like, oh, we are partners. We're a team. We're in this. Yes. We're up to our eyeballs right now and whatever's going on on the farm and at home, but we, we've got each other's backs and we're here for it. Um, my, our favorite thing to do, my partner and I, we, you know, we don't have, I mean, we have 11 chickens, not a farm, but, um, it, you know, with two young kids and work and all of that, it's, it's really challenging to make that space for yourself. So even if it's a construction project that we're doing out in our garage, that's still time, just the two of us doing something we enjoy doing, you know, let's go frame out a wall. That was a beautiful afternoon and it was really great. Um, so it doesn't have to look like a full blown dinner and movie date. You know, it can be just go down and sit by the river and throw rocks in the river together and, BS about what's going on during your day. So I think just finding those little moments that, or, or vegging out and watching your favorite TV show, even, even if you don't like watching TV with your partner, um, <laughs> which is the case in our house, um, it, it can be a really nice way to, to reconnect. I, I get upset when my wife now watches uh, Real Housewives of Beverly Hills without me. She got me addicted to that during the pandemic. So we're on a Ted Lasso kick. Oh, over okay, here. okay, oh, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> well, I, again, I've kind of taken this so many different ways. Maggie, do you want to chime in there? Um, you know, I don't have a lot to offer. I am an unmarried uh, woman. Um, the doorbell for the ranch driveway. Sings, she'll be coming around the mountains. So I apologize, it's going off. Anyways, I don't have much counsel for um, taking time to care for um, a partner relationship. I do, um, we have a generational management scenario here, which I think is sort of similar. You know, if you're going to find a functional dynamic in any relationship, um, there is investment that has to take place. Um, but if anyone has advice on, uh, finding a partner who wants to live on a windy, dry ranch. <laughs> I, I'm also open to being counseled. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Um, uh, I do, I just, even as like a, uh, an individual, I think for me taking a minute, in fact, 30 minutes to go for a run, um, even on terrible days is um, a really wonderful thing. And I don't know if either of you are familiar with the uh, naval, um, I think he was an admiral or something that gave a graduation speech, speech at UT about making your bed. 
um, making my bed and going for a run are the two things that I can say, I did this. Even if it was a terrible run, I know that it's accomplished. Um, and I think one of the hard parts about ranching is like, well, I worked all day trying to fix fence and it's still not done, you know, and you have all these sort of carryovers and, and like in the cattle world, you're two years into a supply chain before you get to see like real genetic change, you know, and it's such a slow process. So for my own personal mental well-being, checking something off the to-do list was really important. And um, for me, that was physical activity. Uh, but Ted Lasso is great. I'm not yet a Beverly Hills fan. <laughs> <laughs> Ted Lasso provides a little more optimism. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's just so much snaky drama on the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, but uh, but I, I just want to thank you both for taking time here today. And uh, again, it's like I said, this can be such an awkward conversation for people. I even going into this, I I always I don't like I said, it's awkward to bring have these conversations and not try to I, I would never want to uh, to upset someone that maybe is going through something and uh or maybe that has gone through uh something that that we've all experienced and and i guess i'm, I'm a part of maybe that problem as well just uh, i need to get my mind around how we have these conversations in a more effective way um and having talks like this is one of those. So I just want to thank you both. Uh, any last comments, thoughts, or uh, if you want to bring your dogs back on camera, I'm fine with that. <laughs> Mine just got spayed. So she's in a donut right now oh, okay. and wearing my son's t-shirt. So she's not her best self today. <laughs> I, I just would add and thank NCBA for um, being brave enough to have this as a conversation. Um, I have had multiple conversations with some members of the NCBA team over the years. And um, I think uh, there's a lot of leadership in just having the conversation. So I'm, I express my gratitude for providing a platform. Well, again, thank I echo that. yeah, for sure. Well, again, thank you so much to, to Kate Downs and, and Maggie Hanna for joining us here today. Uh, for more information on uh, on how you can be an advocate for those, uh, whether you want to be an advocate going out and being a part of your community in mental wellness campaigns, or just uh, trying to participate and be a good neighbor. Um, I know it's branding season, folks are going everywhere. Uh, don't be afraid to to just stop by your neighbors, talk about what's going on, and uh, also educating yourself. Uh, so many different state and county resources out there. A quick Google search uh, will, will go a long ways as well. But I just want to thank you all for, for joining us here on the Cattleman's Call podcast, and thank you to Kate and Maggie for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. And that will do it for today's Cattleman's Call conversation. I'm Lee Northland. We'll catch you next time. Thanks for tuning in to NCBA's Cattleman's Call podcast with Lane Nordland. For more information, visit ncba.org and make sure to subscribe to the podcast today.